Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another wonderful and glorious episode of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I, as always, am your gracious, humble, yet still glorious host, Michael Shibley, back with another great episode. Thank you guys for hanging out with us again. It's a kind of a cloudy, just kind of a dreary fall day here in Knoxville, but we've got hot sports action as we head into the Thanksgiving weekend again. Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Hope you guys have a great one and have a wonderful holiday weekend with friends, family, however you deem to celebrate it. Enjoy it out there. Enjoy some good food. And of course, great sports action. Of course, we'll break down everything going on in college football plus craziness In the NFL, great scoring, great close games, and then of course we'll recap everything that happened over the Survivor Series weekend in the WWE at the end of the show. So let's get into it first. Let's talk about everything as we always do here at the front of the show. This is Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network, where you can listen to all the other great podcasts at stagediverradio.com. Head over there and you can listen to Haffle, J&B's DLC, People in My Neighborhood, One Fall or 60 Minutes, just a bunch of other great, awesome shows there on the network. Head over, there's a nice media player where you can just Have that playing while you peruse the internet and check out everything else going on in the world. Of course, you can also check us out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those great places that you get your podcasts. You can listen to us there. And of course, like, subscribe, comment, share. We want those ratings. That's how we get into the algorithms and they help you know, get us out to a bigger audience. If you give us those five-star reviews, if you can do that, however you listen to the podcast, we would definitely appreciate that. Of course, you can always send us comments through email at stagediverradio at gmail.com, or you can call the hotline at 865-888-0109, where you can leave a comment or complain about something. Ask me a question. I want to hear it. You want to interact with me personally. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, also Michael underscore Shibley on Instagram, or if you want to go through Facebook, you can hit us up at the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page, where we always post live reaction videos following UT games or breaking news, things like that. We get some bonus content there as well, so give us a like there. So I think we've covered all of it. As always, rate, subscribe, five-star reviews. We would love to hear from you. We appreciate it. We want to make this the best podcast network possible. I want to make this the best local sports podcast I possibly can, even reaching worldwide. I would love to reach worldwide. That would be awesome, but I need your help to do it. I'm going to keep bringing the awesomeness on this side of the microphone. There for you guys, we want those five-star reviews. But let's get into all the business going on in the world of sports. Of course, starting with college football, as we always do here during the season. Right now, my college football playoff top four, it remains unchanged. Pretty much the top six remains unchanged. I've got Alabama, number one, Clemson, two, Notre Dame, three, Michigan, four, Georgia, five, Oklahoma at six. Then I've got Washington State moving up to number seven and Central Florida moving up to number eight. I've dropped Ohio State a little bit because they struggled with Maryland in a very Great offensive performance. Uh, No defense played at all in that game. Maryland giving Ohio State everything they wanted. Matt Canada, I think, probably earned himself the full-time head coaching gig there at Maryland after that great performance. They had him. They went for two in the win at the end in overtime, and I give Matt 
Canada and the Terrapins credit for doing that because, hey, why not? You're fighting for a bowl berth, and it's Ohio State. Go for the win. They had the perfect pick play called, and just the quarterback misfired on the two-point conversion. It was tough. It was amazing to watch. So hats off to my mom's alma mater, the Maryland Terrapins, almost getting it. I If they can just do that a couple more times and come close and maybe get some other recruits in, maybe they can compete in the Big Ten. Who knows? But come close yet so, so far. Other, of course, big action from this past week. Not a whole lot, really, when it comes down to it. Central Florida, they had the national spotlight on them playing their only ranked team of the season in Cincinnati. They beat the pants off of them, which was good to see. So that's why they moved up in my rankings, especially after Ohio State struggled. And then Notre Dame in the big matchup there against Syracuse in Yankee Stadium. I thought the game was going to be a lot closer than what it was, but Notre Dame just blew out Syracuse to pretty much put a stamp on their playoff berth. We'll get to that here in a second. So that's pretty much everything that happened over this uh, weekend is the SEC just played a cupcake schedule, really, when you look at it. Alabama playing the Citadel. Yes, the Citadel was tied with Alabama, 10-10 at halftime. Uh, The Citadel's Twitter page was trolling LSU and Mississippi State because, hey, they scored. I don't know what was so difficult about it. So that was great. Uh, But then you have Georgia played uh, UMass, Auburn was playing Liberty, Florida played Idaho, you had just a bunch of other terrible things. Yes, Tennessee and Missouri played, I'll get to that in a minute, but really, I really wish the SEC would go to nine conference games, because these late season, just cupcake non-conference matchups have got to go away here in late November. And Tennessee could be guilty of this too. They played Charlotte November, and that was a homecoming game. But you talk about you know Nick Saban complaining about the fans showing up and all those different things. You're playing the Citadel right near the end of the season. What makes you think I want to show up and pay money for that? I don't. So you got to get rid of it. Just make a ninth conference game. That would allow you to have more cross-division matchups, I think, which would be very entertaining to have. Tennessee could maybe review and renew a yearly series with Auburn or play Arkansas, somebody else in that Western division. I think that would just bring for more stuff, make it even more competitive, and just get rid of these just payday games for these weak non-conference opponents because that drives me nuts. Of course, it does let these players rest up for these rivalry games, so there is that argument. I don't like it. I want competition. You play the non-conference weak opponents at the beginning of the season, and then you play the big boys at the end. That's how it should be. But you do have these big non Uh, Just all these big rivalry games happening here, and there's big playoff implications for a lot of it because it's the last big step for some of them. Let's break them all down here real quick. The Iron Bowl, of course, Alabama versus Auburn. This could be the worst Auburn team in a while coming into the Iron Bowl when it looks at it, and you know Alabama's going to be looking for revenge in this one. It's in Alabama. It's just the, the... It's going to be hostile. I see no mercy for Auburn in this one. Clemson versus South Carolina, the Battle of the Palmetto State, a very hostile rivalry, but Clemson, of course, has been dominating it in recent years. I don't see any change in that. South Carolina might be able to put up some points. I don't know, though. Clemson's defense has been just on fire here at the end of the season. Clemson has even passed Alabama as the number one team in the ESPN Football Power Index. 
take that for what it is. I'm still going with Alabama as the big team right now, but Clemson has made a great run. Notre Dame versus USC. This is a great cross-country rivalry. The battle for the jeweled shillelagh, an Irish war club is the trophy that they play for, but Notre Dame, I think, will take care of USC, and that'll probably just get Clay Helton kicked out the door as a coach of the Trojans. Michigan-Ohio State, the game, they always talk about that. Growing up through elementary school in the early to mid-90s in the Toledo, Ohio area, being a Tennessee fan, that was always tough for me, but uh, being there in the middle of this rivalry, you see what it means to both schools. This is the game that Harbaugh needs to win if he's going to make any roads as a true Michigan head coach he's got to beat Ohio State in this one Ohio State again looking like they are vulnerable their defense not playing great by the way Ohio State's defense they're allowing almost six yards per play and almost 400 yards per game that vaunted Greg Schiano defense that Ohio State was talking about these all the media fans of course blasting Tennessee how dare they not consider Greg Schiano as their coach the fans revolting you see what his defense has been doing this season and they're supposed to have NFL prospects and it's not just Bosa who's not with the team anymore there's a lot of other great defensive players on this team and they're not playing up to snuff right now. So everybody can just be quiet about the Greg Schiano thing at this point. But Michigan needs to come out. Yes, it's at Ohio State, and Urban Meyer has not been a home underdog in any game since I think his first year at Utah back in like 2003 when he was head coach there. So these are the implications. Michigan is the better team going into this matchup. I'm predicting Michigan to win, But Harbaugh needs this. All the money they've been paying him, all the facilities they've upgraded, everything really comes down to this game, and Harbaugh has to get it done. If he doesn't get it done here, it might not happen. We'll see. Of course, uh, we'll talk about the maybe coaching vacancy at Ohio State at the end of this segment, but we'll get to that here in a second. But again, Michigan, you got to win this if you want to finally beat Ohio State in the way that you're supposed to. So Ohio State's the lesser team going into this matchup. Michigan's got to win. Georgia, Georgia Tech. I just love the name of this rivalry. Clean, old-fashioned hate. I don't see Georgia Tech putting... I mean, yeah, they're going to run the triple option and confuse Georgia for maybe a quarter, but I really think uh, the Bulldogs will take care of Georgia Tech in that one. Oklahoma at West Virginia. This game, again, a lot of playoff implications. It had much more before Oklahoma... Oklahoma State beat West Virginia last week. So, again, West Virginia can now play spoiler because the Big 12, their hopes rely on Oklahoma. Who knows? The defense has gone out the window in the Big 12. We'll see what this one ends up with. Uh, Central Florida versus South Florida. This game looked a lot better before going into November as both teams had great records. Central Florida still does. USF has now lost four straight. So again, UCF needs to just score the points and win big to just keep that profile going. I still only see chaos really happening is the only way Central Florida is going to get in. And of course, you have the Apple Cup between Washington traveling to the Palouse to face Washington State. The winner of that game will... Uh, win the Pac-12 North and face Utah. Congratulations to Utah for winning the just terrible Pac-12 South at this point. I love what 
the Washington State team has done. Mike Leach has done an incredible job there this season. They're a lot of fun to watch. I would love to see them in the playoff, but I still think some of these other top teams need to lose this weekend in some of these rivalry games. And again, I don't see a lot of upheaval, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. I have seen it before. My The best case scenario was earlier uh, this you go back to when West Virginia was a top-ranked team and they had Rich Rodriguez and everything. All they had to do was beat Pitt. That's all they had to do was beat Pitt. It was at home in West Virginia, and they would have been in the national championship game. And Pitt was just a middling team that year, but they didn't. It was that backyard brawl. They came out, and Pitt upset West Virginia, and it's West Virginia really had not been the same since that point. And they're finally picking themselves up. Of course, they lost. They're out of the playoff picture now. But you can see that happen in these rivalry games. That's why, yes, Auburn might be down. South Carolina might be down. Georgia Tech might be down. You still got to pay attention to it. You've got to destroy your rival when you have the chance. And that's what these teams need to do if they want to stay alive in the college football playoff. Another couple of kudos going out there in the world of college football. Kudos to Army for being ranked for the first time since 1996. They've broken into the top 25. Pitt officially wins the ACC Coastal, so congratulations to them. And, of course, congratulations to Utah, as I mentioned, for winning the terrible Pac-12 South. Meanwhile, you look at some of these things going on in college football as we see now coaches starting to get fired as uh, Coach McIntyre at Colorado just got fired. Uh, and again, he was just a couple years removed from being really turning Colorado around, and now they've fallen back down, and they might not be able to get back up. We'll see what happens there. But really, you look at what's going on. Urban Meyer, You look. he was doing his worst Steve Spurrier impression that they kept filming him on the field there at Maryland, where he's just hemming and hawing and throwing things and putting his hands in there, looking like he was just in pain. That was some really good acting. Actually, he's really bad acting when it comes down to it. All you needed was Steve Spurrier throwing his visor, and he would have been full-on Spurrier at that point. But I believe Steve Spurrier. I don't believe Urban Meyer. There's some scuttlebutt going around that this stuff is Urban Meyer is going to, just like he did years ago at Florida when he cited health concerns for why he left Florida. I could see that happening here at Ohio State. We'll see the turmoil that he had this season with the whole Zach Smith incident and all that other crap that happened before the season. You could see Urban Meyer leaving Ohio State, especially if he loses to Michigan. I mean, you saw it at Florida where Nick Saban was finally on the rise and Nick Saban finally beat Urban Meyer. There, when Nick Saban was there at Alabama and Urban Meyer was at Florida, and now you see Jim Harbaugh is coming up and Michigan is on the rise, especially if they blow out Ohio State, you could see Urban Meyer be like, I'm done again, and cite health reasons or whatnot. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. You can also see, I think Clay Helton is done at USC, maybe if they beat Notre Dame, but I don't see that happening. And then you've got to see where these things go. Ohio State, that job, that's a high-profile job opening up. USC, still a high-profile job opening up there. Of course, I do think if Urban Meyer leaves, I do think Ryan Day, who was the interim coach for Ohio State when Urban Meyer was suspended, I think 
Ryan Day would probably just step in and be the coach there. But if USC opens up, I mean, you could see, is that going to mean people are thinking maybe James Franklin would leave Penn State and go to USC? He's, of course, been able to turn around a lot of programs. I mean, James Franklin's been very consistent. He made Vanderbilt have two nine-win seasons, for crying out loud. That's supposed to be impossible, but he made that happen. So if he maybe leaves Penn State, we'll have to see, of course, of course as all these dominoes start falling and where these coaches end up. Meanwhile, here on Rocky Top, really tough as the Vols lost 50-17 to to Missouri. I had predicted earlier in the week that Tennessee would lose to Missouri. I didn't think it was going to be this big of a blowout. The Vols made too many mistakes overall. Garantano was knocked out of the game early, and Keller Christ came in. And, and, you know, Tennessee had taken the lead on the touchdown there to get 7-6, but then Missouri comes right back. Missouri was up 19-10, to I believe, and then Tennessee was driving again with some long uh, pass receptions. I think the last one to Jawan Jennings, and they were marching down the field. But then Keller Chris did something that Garantano had not done for a long portion of the season: throw an interception, especially a crippling one like that. Missouri was able to then take the ball down the field and score, and that put Missouri up right before the half. Tennessee did come out of the locker room and score and shorten the gap. And then, but then after that, it was all Missouri. As again, Drew Locke showing why he is an NFL caliber quarterback. Also, the Missouri offensive line was just dominant, really. I mean, they controlled the Tennessee front seven at will. When you see a lot of tackles being made by the safeties and the defensive backs, that's not good. You know the players are getting to the second level, and the offensive line is doing their job. So Missouri did a great job there. Missouri really is a better team, I think, than a lot of people might give them credit for. I mean, look at what they did. They blew out Florida in the swamp. Um, they lost to Kentucky on a last-second play. It was a questionable pass interference call on the preceding play. The only reason they really lost to South Carolina was because of that torrential downpour and the last-second field goal. So Missouri, I think, is a better team than their record states. But Anyway, and they showed it blowing Tennessee out, and it kind of brought some Tennessee fans back down to earth just a tad after that dominating win over Kentucky, which was awesome. Still love that win. But it gets Tennessee now into a position where now a bowl game is on the line between Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Both teams have five wins. Winner goes to a bowl game. Loser does not. It's at Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt has won four out of the last six against Tennessee. Shermer, Vanderbilt's quarterback, has been just really good against Tennessee, especially these last two seasons. So again, it's a toss-up game, and I'll make my picks, of course, on our Facebook page. You can check that out at Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook, where you'll see my picks officially for that one. But it does look like Garantano and Callaway should be playing. They were both shaken up in that game. But again, Tennessee is not the type of team right now that can make the mistakes they made against Missouri and come back and win a game, even against a good team, if not a a, a better team like Missouri is. So that's it. We'll see how Tennessee follows up. And hopefully they end the season on a great note and head to a bowl game. That would be awesome to see. And it's pretty much what I called to start the season. I said Tennessee was going to go 6-6 and and go to a bowl game. So we'll see how that ends up switching gears we've got NFL here in the main segment because last night on Monday Night Football 
105 points were scored between the Rams and the Chiefs, the highest total in the history of Monday Night Football, as the LA Rams defeated the Chiefs 54-51. to Just amazing statistics, an offensive showcase. Again, the game was moved back to the Los Angeles Coliseum. It was supposed to be played down in Mexico City, but the field was terrible, so they moved it. The first team, the Chiefs, were the first team to score 50 points in an NFL game and lose. It was the third highest point total in the history of the NFL. It's also uh, the Chiefs were the fourth team this season to score 40 points or more and lose, which has never happened before. 14 total touchdowns scored in this game. The Buffalo Bills, meanwhile, have scored 13 touchdowns all season long. The over-under was 64, which was the highest ever released by Las Vegas for an over-under for betting since they started releasing over-unders. They went 41 points past that to 105, which was amazing. Vegas, Las Vegas came out and reported a healthy uh, seven-figure loss in that one for the sports books overall in Las Vegas is 69% of bettors bet the over. And if I was a big NFL betting man, I probably would have bet the over in that one. The Rams' Aaron Donald, you talk about all the great offense. The Rams' Aaron Donald, though, has been worth every penny on the defensive line for the Rams. He's got 14 and a half sacks so far this season. He had two sacks last night and forced two fumbles in that Monday night football game. So he, again, worth every penny that he held out for. Unlike Le'Veon Bell for the Steelers, who Connor has just stepped in and done just fine for them. So you just see where the money's going to be. I mean, you look at the money, and this is where the first round NFL draft picks have gone. They've either been a quarterback, they've been an offensive lineman to protect said quarterback, or they've been a defensive lineman to go after said quarterback. So you see where this is going, and that's where the money is going in the NFL, and rightfully so, as the game has now changed to such a big offensive explosion where you've got these offensive schemes, this air raid offense coming from the college ranks and moving into the NFL. And we'll see, especially as they make rules to lessen the impact that defense has. I do think you still have to play something resembling defense if you're going to be a championship team, but... It was just a fun game to watch. It was pinball scoring going back and forth. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I hope everybody did too. It has been a really good and competitive NFL season, really, when you look at it. And especially this last week, a lot of great close games. We had, there was 13 games total played this week in the NFL. 11 of those games were decided by five points or fewer. That's the most ever in a week of action in the NFL Two games didn't. The Titans just got blown out by the Indianapolis Colts. And the worst one really was the Eagles just got walloped in New Orleans by the Saints 48-7. The defending Super Bowl champions on the ropes. They are in danger of not making the playoffs. It has not been good for them. But really when you look at it, and it looks like viewership has come back up. Ratings have gone up for the NFL compared to the last couple of seasons. And I think a lot of that has been... Less talk of the protests. Yes, there are still a few players kneeling for the national anthem, but there has been barely any attention paid to that, which I think has been a big change. And I think the the networks realize that that has not been good for their advertising dollars talking about it. Yes, 
they can still protest, but they have backed away from it, and you don't see them talking about it, which, of course, then means you don't have our president throwing matches onto it and just creating a whole other mess of press that gets away from the action on the field. And the action on the field, again, has been awesome this season. So viewers are coming back to the NFL, which has been great to see. We go to my power rankings for the NFL. We take a look at this as we now get closer in crunch time into real, true playoff consideration. My power rankings go like this. The Saints at the top, they have been awesome since week one. They lost week one, but then since then, they have been just incredible. The Rams at number two, the Chiefs at number three. I don't see them moving down even after what happened this week. The Steelers have moved up to number four. They just keep winning. They don't have to worry about Le'Veon Bell and will he or won't he show up. So I think the Steelers are in a great position. The Patriots I've got right behind them. We'll see if they meet up in the playoffs and how the season goes. The Patriots, of course, uh, lost their last game against the Titans. We'll see how the Patriots rebound there. The Bears are looking great. Mitch Trubisky has been wonderful at quarterback there, and the Bears still playing something resembling defense, so that has been a big help there. The Texans on the rise at number seven. They just have just kept winning, which gives them credit. The Chargers dropped a few spots as they lost at home to the Broncos. Again, it is a divisional matchup, but still, I was just... Very disappointed in the Chargers losing there. The Panthers have dropped a couple of games now, which is not looking good for them. They're going to have to, of course, be fighting for a wild card spot. They do have the Saints uh, coming up here in a little bit, so that could change their fortunes as well. The Vikings still have them at number 10, but, I mean, you expect all that money that you're paying to Kirk Cousins, and right now you're just 5-4-1. and one. It's not great for the Minnesota Vikings, especially when you look at what the Bears did, and the Bears beat the Vikings this week. Mitch Trubisky, he's still under his rookie contract, so the Bears can afford to have other pieces in place. You don't have that with the Vikings. He had paid all that money to Kirk Cousins, and he's producing, but not at the level you're really paying him for. So you'll have to see how that's going to affect the Vikings going forward as they still have to pay Kirk Cousins all that money because, again, it's all guaranteed money that Kirk Cousins is getting. But that's going to wrap up this first half of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back, of course, with Shibbles and Bits coming up next. You're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are still here with Modern Day Gladiators, and I am still your humble host, Michael Shibley. Hopefully, everyone is still having a wonderful day out there. I appreciate you guys for listening in and keeping with me here as we go through Shibbles and Bits as the Pink Panther plays. You gotta love it. Let's go and hit up Shibbles and Bits. We'll start with Major League Baseball as the postseason awards have all now come out. American League Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani of the Angels. The first player uh, since Babe Ruth to have 10 pitching appearances, plus 20 home runs, which is pretty darn impressive. A 
3.31 ERA and 63 strikeouts before elbow trouble shortened his pitching output. Uh, he's going to have to have Tommy John surgery uh, next year, but it looks like he'll still be able to hit some. He had a 285 average, uh, a 9.25 OPS, 22 home runs, and 10 stolen bases at the bat. So a pretty darn good debut season there for the Japanese player Shohei Otani. The Braves had the National League Rookie of the Year, Ronald Acuna Jr., 26 home runs, 16 stolen bases, and a 552 slugging percentage. So pretty well done for the output there. And, of course, the Braves also have the National League Manager of the Year in Brian Snitker. Just, again, the Braves were at least one season ahead of schedule when you talk about where we were thinking the Braves would be able to contend and make some noise in the National League and play. And they were able to make it all the way to the playoffs. Uh, They're not there just yet, as you saw, but they did very well and they accounted very well for themselves this past season. The American League Manager of the Year, you would think, went to Alex Cora for, you know, dominating baseball and getting the Red Sox to the playoffs and the 108 wins and winning the World Series and all that, but no. Went to Brian, uh, no, not Brian Snitker. I can't even read my own writing. Went to Bob Melvin of Oakland. Uh, again, the Oakland A's, of course, have the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball, and they always play actual money ball and everything. They had just, a, again, a very good improvement in their wins. Got them into the playoffs where they lost in the wild card to the Yankees, but still. A very good showing. I still would have given it to Cora because, again, he was a rookie manager. And, again, they won the World Series and won 108 games in the regular season. But I guess it's almost in that same thing where you could probably give the SEC Coach of the Year honors to Nick Saban every year for how dominant, or almost every year, for how dominant Alabama is. But I guess they kind of want to spread it around a little bit. So uh, congratulations to Bob Melvin. The Cy Young Awards uh, in the American League went to Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays. 21 wins, 1.89 ERA. Uh, The least amount ever uh, innings pitched by a Cy Young Award winner with 180 and two-thirds innings. So again, you see some of these metrics and the new strategy they seem to have in Major League Baseball where they're on a big pitch count as they try and save these guys' arms and just get to that bullpen. And Blake Snell was a part of that. And he was still, though, extremely dominating, which was awesome to see. So we'll go with him there. Meanwhile, in the National League, you talk about metrics and different plays. The Cy Young Award winner goes to Jacob deGrom of the Mets. The only good thing that happened to the Mets this season, only 10 wins. He was 10-9 and nine on the season. So you see, though, the metrics. He had a 1.7 ERA. He was flat-out unhittable for much of this season. And when you look at it, how bad the Mets were, if they had given him any run support at all, I think if they added one more run on average for his run support, he would have won 20-plus games and, of course, been just... He, he was pretty much almost a unanimous Cy Young Award winner anyway because you see how just a great statistical season he had. Just the only thing was the wins. And again, I still look back at traditions like Cy Young and the wins that he had and Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax and 
the dominating years that these guys had, but they had the wins because they pitched so much, and they pitched deeper into games and were on really good teams. So you see where that can kind of, again, the generational gap and the getting rid of old traditions. I still like the win. I like going out there and having your pitcher go out and get the win. Yes, you have the bullpen to help you, but I still like it. But again, I probably would have also voted for Jacob DeGrom to get the Cy Young this year because, again, such a dominating statistical season. I just wish the Mets could have given him some run support because that would have been an even more awesome season for DeGrom if he had something like that. Going with the MVPs, really wasn't any doubt, really, when you look at the American League, the Boston Red Sox, Mookie Betts in the outfield had just an all-around awesome season. Again, a gold glove in the field, a 346 average, 47 doubles, 5 triples, 32 home runs, 129 total runs, 80 RBIs, and 30 stolen bases. That's an MVP year and, and any year. So awesome there for Mookie Betts. And then... Really, in the National League, the Brewers with Christian Yelich, he had just an incredible second half of the season, which is what just propelled him to the MVP. He had a 770 slugging percentage after the All-Star break, and that just helped propel the Brewers to the National League Championship Series. So I, I can't really argue really with any of these awards, except maybe Melvin getting the award for Manager of the Year, but that's about it. But again, always love seeing who gets these baseball awards at the end of the season and congratulations to all the winners and i can't wait for pitchers and catchers to report in february and march of spring training doesn't seem like that far away but of course we've got all the hot stove news coming and we of course will talk about all of that on modern day gladiators once we get some of the big names getting moved with new contracts and whatnot sticking with baseball here real quick we talked about this on a previous episode of modern day gladiators there was the guy Uh, in Comerica Park there in Detroit who was caught spitting into a pizza that was given to a customer and he was fired and he was arrested and charged Uh, he pled guilty he has now been sentenced to 18 months probation again I've stayed with this argument and I will stick with it I think you just need to put this guy in the stocks for a couple of days in the public square and let people point and laugh at him and that should be punishment enough But alas, they're going to give him probation, and I'm sure he's very remorseful and will hopefully never do it again and learns his lesson. At least that's the hope. Anyway, going into college football real quick, Les Miles, the hat, the guy who won the 2007 National Championship at LSU, he is back in the coaching ranks. He is now the new head coach at the University of Kansas, agreeing to a five-year, $2.8 million a year deal there, of course, they've got a bunch of different bonuses there. Kansas has been a laughing stock for a long time in college football. They have been probably overall the worst team, them and Rutgers, really, in, in competition over the last few years or so as the worst team in a Power 5 conference. It has not been good for Kansas, uh, but... They're moving. We'll see if Les Miles, again, now Les Miles inherited a really good situation because the last coach there at LSU before him was Nick Saban. So he inherited that. He didn't have to do much in terms of really recruiting. All you got to do is go to all the best schools in Louisiana, find all the five-star recruits and say, hey, come to LSU. And most of the time they'll go to LSU. So it's not that hard to do in Louisiana. So will he be able to recruit and get a good base of coaches 
and just you're gonna have to outcoach people for a long time to be competitive at Kansas. Kansas has been terrible for a long time. I mean, they harken back to the days of Mark Mangino. They had that one year where I think they had Aqib Talib in their secondary, and the Jayhawks went 12 and one and won the Orange Bowl. But it's been just downhill since then. Is Les Miles gonna be? you know, a really good coach and get them to be a respectable team? Or is Les Miles going to go the way of Charlie Weiss? Charlie Weiss, again, had that great pomp and circumstance and did some good things there for a couple of seasons at Notre Dame and then just fell off the table, went to Kansas and did bubkiss there. What's going to happen? I mean, Kansas, again, they focus so much on basketball. But you can see if you get the right coach in a place that's a basketball school, you can win. You look at what David Cutcliffe has done at Duke. You look at what uh, Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. So it can be done. You've just got to give him time, give him the resources. They've got to upgrade those football facilities there and hopefully find a way to energize the student fan base to care about football because you see the atmosphere they have in basketball. And maybe Les Miles can do it. You know, he's an energetic guy. Uh, We'll see how his offensive schemes go. I give him, you know, credit. I think he can make Kansas into at least a at least a bowl team on occasion. I mean, that's all you really ask Duke to do. What David Cutcliffe's doing there, finish above 500, get to a bowl game, and that's a great season for Duke. And you could see Kansas being something like that. So we'll see. Of course, one of the things you won't see while Les Miles is coaching at Kansas is him tasting the grass, which was, of course, the legendary video that came out with Les Miles eating grass there at LSU because Kansas has field turf. And that has come into some controversy here as well because Kansas is ruled uh, as they play Texas to finish out the year there in Kansas. Uh, Guess what, Texas? You can't bring Bevo with you. They have a rule against allowing live mascots on their field, so they're like, nope, Bevo's not allowed to come, which was actually kind of disappointing. It's the only the second missing of a Thanksgiving uh, week game in 73 years, of course, for much of those 73 years, Texas played Texas A&M during Thanksgiving week. So now, they, of course, they don't play that because Texas has been butthurt that Texas A&M left and went to the SEC. So bring that rivalry back, please. Come on. I mean, you, you want to see that. You want to see Texas and Texas A&M play. So bring that rivalry back. It'd be good for college football. But it will last. Uh, Bevo the 15th will not be there in Kansas to help uh, the Texas Longhorns. And if the Longhorns win, they do win, uh, or they do assure themselves a spot in the Big 12 championship game. So we'll see what Texas can do. Probably going to happen because Kansas, again, that's why they're hiring a new coach, because they've been terrible. Moving to college basketball real quick. Feast week is going on here during the week of Thanksgiving. You've got all of these tournaments in all the different places, in the Bahamas, in Jamaica, You've got, of course, the Maui Invitational, so all these good things, which, of course, help all these schools as they play these big non-conference opponents. It helps their strength of schedule, especially if they get wins. It helps that tournament resume that we look at so much as we get into March. So it's always fun to watch these games. It goes really well with the NFL games as we watch a lot of great basketball, and we watch a lot of great uh, NFL games and college football this week. A lot of great sports for Thanksgiving. It's a great and wonderful American tradition. You got the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, you got the food, you got sports. Wonderful. I love every second of it. So hopefully you guys enjoy that as well. Meanwhile, you look at one of the funny things, though, that's happening during one of these games. This happened last week. 
uh, there was a misspelling. Uh, a Syracuse player had his last name spe- misspelled uh, as they played UConn last Thursday. The problem was it was Jim Beheim's son. Jim Beheim has been the coach at Syracuse since 1976, and they misspelled his name. That is the one name, and again, yes, I understand it could be tough to spell, except the fact that that same last name has been your coach since 1976. It's very comical, still. You should never, ever allow that to happen. Moving to the NBA real quick, of course, is we are all preparing for the apocalypse as the Lakers travel to Cleveland on Wednesday as LeBron James comes back to Cleveland after leaving. I'm sure the Cleveland fans are not going to be appreciative to see him wearing Lakers colors, even though he did give Cleveland their first championship since the Browns won an NFL title way back when. So, again, they should be grateful for what LeBron has done for them. And LeBron, again, he just did not get along with the owner of the Cavaliers, Gilbert. So, I don't fault him for leaving. His contract was up. But you know it's going to probably be hostile. There'll be plenty of boos. But the Cleveland fans should be grateful for everything LeBron James has done there. Moving back, and we will cover all the Tennessee stuff here at the end of Shivels and Bits this week. The Tennessee basketball team defeated Georgia Tech 66-53 in a rock fight. Tennessee showing that, hey, it's tough up at the top. People are going to bring your best shot. And Georgia Tech finally was a team that had the talent to do that. Now we'll see where Tennessee stands because they're moving into the NIT season tip-off that's happening up in Brooklyn. Over Thanksgiving week, they play Louisville on Wednesday, which will be a really good matchup as Louisville, of course, had fallen down for a little bit, but now they're kind of coming back up. Louisville will be a very competitive matchup, and Tennessee, depending on if they win or lose, they will play Kansas or Marquette on Friday. And again, Kansas, a top-five team, so that could be a real marquee matchup if Tennessee and Kansas face off. Lady Vols basketball, they trounced UNC Asheville and Florida A&M over the past week. They are traveling to the Bahamas in the Junkan, Junkan, easy for me to say, the Junkanoo Jam in the Bahamas uh, starting on Thanksgiving. They're playing Clemson. They will face University of Alabama at Birmingham or Oklahoma in the next match there. The volleyball team continues their winning ways for Tennessee up to ranked 22nd. They have won now nine wins in a row, knocking out Missouri and Arkansas over the past week, three games to one in both of those. They finish up the regular season this week as they face the 13th ranked Florida Gators on Wednesday at home in Thompson Bowling Arena and Ole Miss on Saturday in Thompson Bowling Arena. So if you get a chance, head over there and cheer on the Vols volleyball team. They are doing well and look to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Speaking of the NCAA tournament in soccer, the Lady Vols are rolling to the Elite Eight. They have had some incredible matchups here. Bunny Shaw, the Jamaican national player, she has been amazing. Of course, against Louisville, she scored the two goals in the final 15 minutes to get that win in the first round matchup. We talked about that. Arizona, 3-2. Danielle Marcano, she had a last-minute goal to win the game in regulation, and then the Lady Vols just trounced Texas A&M in the Sweet 16 match 3-0. They have now moved to the Elite Eight for the first time in program history, which is awesome to see. They will face the overall number one seed, the Stanford Cardinal, on Friday, and that's at 5 o'clock in Palo Alto. So if you're a Tennessee fan out in California, head to Palo Alto and cheer on 
the Vols soccer team. They will need it. Again, the number one overall seed, Stanford Cardinal. I think it should be a fun matchup, and hopefully the Lady Vols can advance. They've advanced farther than they ever have so far to the Elite Eight. Would love to see them in the Final Four in soccer. And again, I keep asking Vols shop, let us buy those soccer jerseys. I love that orange and white checkerboard on the front. I would buy that in a heartbeat if it's for sale. Please make my Christmas wish come true and give me one of those Tennessee Vols soccer jerseys. I would love to have that in my collection. And that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Let's head into the world of wrestling very quickly as Survivor Series weekend happened. What an amazing week it had been. We were talking about it was going to be AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar. That didn't happen because on Tuesday, Daniel Bryan, with a well-timed kick to the groin and a knee to the face, decided, hey, I'm going to win this title from AJ Styles. And that's what he did. Daniel Bryan, your new WWE champion. So he faced Brock Lesnar, which was a really interesting match. It looked like it was just going to be the same Brock Lesnar just dominating the crap out of of an opponent, but Daniel Bryan, again, it took him a while to get going because Brock was suplexing the crap out of Daniel Bryan all over that ring, and Daniel Bryan was trying to antagonize Brock by mimicking him. I like heel Daniel Bryan. This seems to be really fun. We'll see where this goes, but I am enjoying it so far. But then Daniel Bryan took advantage of the referee being out, and again, a low blow and a knee to the face. Almost got the win there. Uh, Daniel Bryan did fall to the F5 but it was a really interesting matchup and something different that you haven't seen from Brock in a while, which was really nice to see. Other crazy thing, of course, Becky Lynch with the broken nose and the concussion from Nia Jax. That means she was unable to wrestle Ronda Rousey, so she asked her enemy, now I guess friend again, Charlotte, to do it. Charlotte, it was a really good match between Charlotte and and Ronda Rousey, and then Charlotte, I guess, had had enough of it and just beat the snot out of Ronda Rousey with a kendo stick and a steel chair, and it was amazing because the crowd was cheering for Charlotte by the end of this. They were chanting, thank you, Charlotte, and booing Ronda Rousey, which to me didn't make that much sense because Ronda Rousey, I know some fans maybe are upset that Ronda Rousey just got shot right to the top. By the way, the money you're paying for her to do that should go right ahead and do that. Also, she's been good. She's delivered in all of her big matchups. I have had no complaints about Ronda Rousey's ability in the ring. So that was kind of confusing. Maybe it was just that group of fans. I think, honestly, everybody is so pro-Becky Lynch right now that everybody else is just going to get caught in the uh, in the crossfire and it's just going to end up that way. But again, that was a really, really good match. You also had a really good match between... Uh, Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali for the Cruiserweight Championship. The men's Survivor Series matchup was really good. Some of the negatives I got from Survivor Series really wish there was more to the matchup between Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura. In that matchup, that was really depressing. I also didn't like that the women's Survivor Series match, Nia Jax seems to be being rewarded for being sloppy and breaking Becky Lynch's nose and giving her a concussion with an hitting her with an actual punch and being sloppy. Nia Jax has injured a lot of other women wrestlers right now, and yet they're pushing her, which I don't like. I don't like the consistency of that. I know there's a double standard with stars and other things, but even though, yeah, you have some stars in the women's division Nia Jax right now wouldn't be one of them, but they're pushing her, so we'll see. Hopefully she does get her comeuppance and 
Ronda Rousey taps her out quickly, and then Becky Lynch whoops her when she gets a chance. So that's some of the stuff that happened at Survivor Series, but the night before NXT TakeOver, oh man, I love the TakeOvers. Those guys go out and deliver every time. You had, you know, the King of Bros, Matt Riddle, come out and challenge Cassius Ono, and then he knees him in the face and pins him in six seconds, which I thought was really, really cool. Then you had Shayna Baszler and her friends, uh... Getting involved in the match with Kyrie Sane in the two out of three falls. I didn't like that it was only a 10 minute two out of three falls match, which is usually not the way they go with that. But then, of course, uh, Dakota Kai and, and Io Shirai came out and tried to help Kyrie Sane, but it wasn't enough. Shayna Baszler retains her NXT Women's Championship. Then you had Aleister Black getting his revenge on Johnny Gargano for uh, injuring him and laying him out. Before the previous takeover, the story in that match was incredible. The hard-hitting moves, it was wonderful. The NXT Championship match between Velveteen Dream and Tommaso Ciampa was wonderful. And then War Games was, of course, a, a wonderful train wreck with things involved with the faces getting the win. Ricochet... Pete Dunne and the War Raiders getting the win over the Undisputed Era. So again, an overall really good weekend. This was finally the first true weekend where, of course, NXT TakeOver was awesome because all the TakeOvers have been awesome. But then the night after that, the Survivor Series matches delivered for the most part. Some of the ones in the beginning didn't, but other than that, the main events did. So you've got all that going for you. And hey, it was wonderful. I had a great time with it. And I hope you guys have had a great time listening here to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Again, travel safely if you're out there traveling. And don't beat up people too much if you're trying to bust down those doors and doing all that Black Friday shopping. I'm going to do all mine online because then I can just go click, click, done. I'm still in my underwear and I get all my shopping done. I don't have to bust down doors and I get the same deals. So, ha, ha. I win, you lose. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Again, Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Too sweet. I love you guys. I will see you next time.